he's rich. I'm Matt. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Oklahoma uh, making their speed defense debut against a Power 5 opponent going out west to play UCLA Saturday night, 7 o'clock kickoff. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, okay? But it, it's, it's crunch time. And you, you've come around a little bit. No, um, no, no. Let's go ahead and jump in and say full on. Okay. I'm in the deep and wading water with you out there, Hope. Okay. Wading water. A month ago, you were very ardent that this would be Oklahoma's most difficult non-conference game. Now, you've come around. You, you've mm. seen Houston play. You've seen UCLA play. Is there anything, before we jump full bear in here, okay, is there anything on this game that bothers you? In, in regards to Oklahoma going out there, no. Um, the only the only reason for concern for me when you're looking at a UCLA program, it's a program that literally has nothing to lose in this game because no one expects them to win, especially after the first two game of the se- first two games mm-hmm. of the season, and a team that lends itself to desperation can cause a little bit of havoc. But let's be honest. I'm with a majority of the people in saying that UCLA stands very little, very close to 0% chance of winning this game. Well, according to the ESPN matchup uh, projector, uh, they have a 20.3% chance of winning. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, that's not zero. I mean, I could flip a coin and I still wouldn't get 20%. Let me me ask you this. Um, Looking through college football standings, to me, there's three, there's three programs that just kind of stand out and and you scratch your head. And and I'm not going to say that you were high, that you were ever like high on UCLA, but you, you thought they would be better than, than, clearly you thought they would be better than what they are. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can give you some reasoning as to why as well. Okay. I'm going to give you the reasoning. Yeah, when, and then I'm going to ask you my question. Okay, when we look at UCLA last year, you look at Chip Kelly, a guy who is very offensive-minded mm-hmm. and is one of the better coaches for the offensive side of the ball. Is he, though? We're going to get I, into that. We're going to get into that. I, we will. You're right. Yeah. I believe when you look at last year, the only way to go for UCLA was up. Mm-hmm. And I thought with a second year – Potentially an improving offense last year. Let, let me give you some some check marks that UCLA, if you were to do the eye test, would have checked the box on. That's it. Did you get them? Yeah, because I, there, I mean, look, Caleb yeah. Wilson was really good last year. It was, but I mean, a terrible offensive line with an inefficient passing game and virtually no running game. I, I thought you're in the cellar. You're at the bottom. The only way to go is up. But after the first yeah, two games, Kansas. yeah, after the first two games, it appears as though UCLA is exactly where they were last year, and that's a hard pill to swallow. I just, I didn't expect that. I expected some progress with a Power Five type athlete coming into the program, setting foot on campus, and propelling this program forward to where they hope to be one day. But mm. I, I, so far, so far. Zero change. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out three programs, mm-hmm. and you tell me which which start to the season is more shocking to you. Rank them from one to three. Three least shocking, one most shocking. Okay, so you don't. There's not a lot of thinking you have to do in this, all right? But you might want to consider a little bit. Most shocking to least shocking. UCLA, Florida State, Tennessee. I think Tennessee's probably the most shocking. I would go Florida State two and UCLA three. So of the of the three, UCLA is the least. I mean, um, least shocking. To, I mean, most most shocking to you is is what's happening. You said Florida State. No, no, no. Tennessee. Tennessee. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, you look at the way that Tennessee loses. Here is all hail the SEC. We're a member of this conference. We don't lose week one. And here is Tennessee who never should have lost, and they, they dropped that first game. I think that one, hands down, is, is going to go well, down. Well, they dropped as, the second game, too. Right, but I'm I mean, saying they're, they're the, the, single, the, the first loss will go down as the worst loss this season of any team. <laughs> I'm going to have to think through that. But, 
I, I'm going to have to think through that. Um, you think through it, but that's my labeling. Is that okay? That is okay, I can go with that. The worst I, loss. I can go with on that. paper of anything. Um, of any team this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're only two weeks in. Yeah, but, but it'll be that way when the the college football playoff is concluded. That will still be the worst loss in my opinion. Okay. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I want to debate that or really even <laughs> spend time researching it. Okay. Um, he's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the web. Uh, we're previewing Oklahoma, UCLA. I believe that Chip Kelly might be overrated. I believe that Rich DeCray might disagree with me. We'll talk about that right after this. All right, welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast, uh, Rich and Matt. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. We would so appreciate uh, getting a follow on Twitter and even a tweet here and there. Hey, I listened to your podcast, and Matt, you are crazy. I'm okay with that. Um, wouldn't be the first time someone tweeted that or even told me that to my face. Um, Chip Kelly, overrated? I feel he's extremely overrated. I've got evidence. I've got ammunition. But you've been talking about Chip Kelly. I don't think he's that great. I agree with you. And I knew that you were not expecting this. But here, check this out. When we look at a guy like Chip Kelly, you have to wonder, has his time played out? Has the evolution of the game caught up to where Chip Kelly previously was? And now the teams are essentially outpacing his schematics and the preparation for a Chip Kelly offense or a Chip Kelly team in general. You know, he made the jump to the NFL, is now back at the college ranks. He was on this upward trajectory. He was on this rise, but now not at, we're not at Oregon anymore. We're back in the Pac-12, but what we're seeing is, like I said, I, I believe, much like we saw with Mike Stoops, the game has simply caught up to where these guys were improvising, it figured those systems out and it knows how to counteract those. Now, of course, you have to have the talent, you have to have the athlete in there to effectively compete as well. And I expect that to come. I'm not saying that it happens in in two years time, but to answer the question with a blunt answer, is Chip Kelly overrated? At, At this point, I absolutely have to think so. I'm so disappointed right now because I, I was expecting an argument, and I'm not getting it, Rich. And so I'm going to go ahead and run through my stats anyway. Yeah, please do. Um, I'm curious. And, and, I don't, and look, you can't to me, you can't deny what he did at Oregon, okay? 46 and 7 in four seasons. He never went to anything but a BCS Bowl, played in the BCS National Championship game. Obviously, they lost that in the 2010 season. But here's the thing. He inherited that team from Mike Bellotti. It's one thing, in my opinion, to build a team like what Bob Stoops did at the University of Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley took what Bob Stoops did, and he's made it better. And you can make that argument, that's what Chip Kelly did at Oregon, but the, the momentum was already, I mean, the ball was already rolling, you know what I'm saying? He, he is starting from ground zero, and really I feel like sometimes coaches get exposed when they, they have a good thing going and they feel like the grass is greener. Do you know what his... Do you know what his overall record was in three seasons as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles? I don't, but it wasn't great. 26-21, and 21, above mm-hmm. 500, but his uh, last season was 6-9. and nine. He went 10-6 and six twice, won the NFC East, finished second in the NFC East, and then 2015, 6-9, he ends up getting fired that season, 26-21. and 21. Then he goes to San Francisco. One season is all it took at San Francisco, a 2-14 and 14 season. And he's out in San Francisco, back in the college ranks at UCLA, which now, going into his second season, he's a whopping 3-11. The guy was a winner at Oregon, but that's it. And when you've been to two NFL franchises and now back to a third uh, a third stop since you left your area of success, you got to say, it was already rolling at Oregon, and it just kind of went on without Chip Kelly. I feel like Chip Kelly needed Oregon more than Oregon needed Chip Kelly. And, I mean, I, I, you got to think. I mean, again, I have my opinion on this, but I want to ask you first. Is is the seat getting kind of warm after one season and two games in UCLA? Yeah. 
Uh, I do believe that it is. I, I wanted to reiterate something just very, very quickly. Is It's this odd thing that has happened where the college game doesn't translate to the NFL extremely well. Right. We're seeing that this year. Um, Cliff Kingsbury being the head coach of the Cardinals with the whole uh, snap clap that has been happening. That's something that's prevalent in the college game but hasn't worked out in the NFL, especially in the preseason games. I don't know if you watched – Kyler Murray's first game in the NFL, but that was completely absent from the game. I, mm -hmm. I didn't see, granted I only watched the fourth quarter, but I didn't see this snap clap that we as college fans have become accustomed to seeing regardless of which program, regardless of which quarterback it is, they're always standing in a shotgun and they're always clapping before that snap or to try to get some motion from the defensive line. Now, when I look at a guy like Chip Kelly you thought it translated early on, but again, I keep going back to the idea of being outpaced in innovation, and it's difficult to innovate. I get that, and you root for these guys who are attempting to break the mold or set a different kind of trend. Chip Kelly had that potential. Cliff Kingsbury currently has that potential. Lincoln Riley, if these NFL talks continue to swirl and eventually suck him in, he's got that potential as well. But you have to ask the question, how far can this mold breaking actually take you? Because it's been done for so long and it's been successful for so long. You're taking a risk now by looking at someone who's innovating. Anyway, you come back to the college level. I, I don't know mentality, um, mindset-wise, where Chip Kelly's at, I, I don't know what his thinking is and his preparation is, but something's clearly not working. And they could very well be off to the worst season at UCLA in program history. That alone, to me, says, yeah, if things don't improve, you are in the hot seat. Well, what, what, it says, what says to me that he's on the hot seat is the fact that they're giving tickets away. I mean, this, this isn't San Jose State coming to play in the Rose Bowl. This is the University of Oklahoma. This is one of the flagship Which is programs. Will likely be a home game for Oklahoma. Well, that's what I'm saying. There, for every person who was at last weekend's game, they're giving them four tickets. If you came to last weekend's game, you get four tickets to this weekend's game. I, I mean, and all, all, all UCLA team. All I see are some dollar signs. The, exactly. All they're going to do is they're going mm -hmm. to take those tickets and they're going to sell them to Oklahoma. Yeah, and that, that's the first thing that crossed my mind. Why would you want to see your own team get trampled? Yeah, I mean, look, you get that doesn't I, sound like a fun outing I, or afternoon, Matt. I I saw, um, I, I saw that, um, um, I saw that story, and all I thought was that's that's going to be money makers for the guys trying to sell tickets mm -hmm. to to Oklahoma fans. Oh, look, if you're an Oklahoma fan. But they're coming cheap. Yeah, go, go, so, go. And also check out Vivid Seats. I mean, because a lot of those go to Vivid Seats. That's right. how that marketplace works. By the way, that's one of our sponsors. So go to Vivid Seats and get you some good low price tickets to watch Oklahoma play in the Rose Bowl. Um, but here's here's the I want to I want to point out one difference. You, you mentioned Lincoln Riley in there. And I, I mentioned Lincoln Riley inheriting a program from Bob Stoops. Here's one area where I see Lincoln Riley being different than a guy like Chip Kelly. My observation of Chip Kelly is he's a guy who has a system, and he developed that system when he was at Oregon. He took over as the head coach at Oregon with his system, but then he took that system to Philadelphia, and it failed. And think about it. He left Philadelphia, and then they won the Super Bowl. What does that tell you? All right? He took the system to San Francisco. It took one season for him to get bounced. Now he's got this system at UCLA. And really where we see the primary difference between a guy like Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly, Lincoln Riley is, I mean, obviously every coach has a system, but you see Lincoln Riley make the adaptations. He, 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 adapt, he, had, he got Baker Mayfield and he did great with Baker Mayfield. And then he had to adapt a little bit to Kyler Murray. Right, it's, and it's now catering he's, the offense to, to your, your signal caller. And that's not what Chip Kelly's able to do. He couldn't. He couldn't adapt that on the NFL Which level, and he's insane. not been able to adapt that at, at the collegiate level with UCLA. You, the you, only place, sorry, the only place this system has worked is Oregon. But you look at a guy like Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's not a good quarterback, but incredible athlete. Doesn't matter. Sam I mean, Ellinger, 
not a good quarterback, good athlete. You can cater to, to the strengths of the players on the field is what I'm saying, regardless of if that's Sam Ellinger, if that's Jalen Hurts, or if that's Dorian Thompson-Robinson. You have to cater mm-hmm. to their strengths in order to be successful. Otherwise, you're pushing this square peg to use an old saying in a round hole, and it just doesn't work. And that's what you're seeing, and, and I, I think that's why that's why an 0-3 start really kind of turns the flames on for this guy. I agree. So I agree wholeheartedly. We're, we're going to jump in actually to X's and O's here in just a second. He is Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. All right. Welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast. Uh, Matt Hofett along with Rich DeCray. Let's let's go jump right on in to the X's and O's. Um, I, I'm going to go first this time around. Um, I, I think when you, when you look at this offense versus defense matchup, for me, the first thing I look at is the run game. I, I feel like um, I feel like UCLA's best chance to kind of keep this competitive is to try to stop Oklahoma on the rushing attack. And I think they're they're if you're going to attack one aspect of Oklahoma's running uh, Oklahoma's offense, I think they're better built to try to come hard and and shut down the running attack. Now that's not an easy task, particularly when you can spread the field and Jalen Hurts can just take off anytime he wants, but what you want to avoid is you, you, if you're UCLA, you want to win first down. If you're Oklahoma, you want to win first down. The penalties that we saw last week from this offensive line, um, those will kill you. Because you, you don't want first and 20. You don't want first and 15. What you really want is second and four. I mean, you're playing for second and four. And, and if you're UCLA, then you want second and eight or so forth. Because then what you're going to do is you're going to attack from that left side of Oklahoma's offensive line. That has been a struggle. If you're going to, and what I wrote about, if you're going to find a chink in Oklahoma's offensive armor, it's on that left side of the line. So the first thing I look at is is really, can Oklahoma run the ball against UCLA? My answer to that question is yes. Yes, they can run the ball against UCLA. But if you're UCLA's defense, you're focusing on these running backs, Trey Sermon, and you want to stop them. I mean, you don't want Kenny Brooks going for nine yards of carry against you because that means it's a long day. But if you're Oklahoma, that's absolutely, you want to feed the beast. I expect out of this, I, I truly expect the, to, and it's only two weeks or three weeks into the season. I expect season high and the amounts of carries for, um, for both of Oklahoma's running backs. If, and all three, if you throw in my boy, Ramon J. Stevenson. If I'm looking at how UCLA will potentially attack this, this offense, the number one concern has to be Jalen Hurts. You've mentioned the dual threat ability, Jalen Hurts. We've seen this, this offense under essentially his reign pour out or just churn out the yardage time and time again, regardless of who's on the field thus far. Mm-hmm. It doesn't appear as that Oklahoma has any slowing down in them, and that doesn't matter if Jalen Hurts is on the field or we're dipping into the third string quarterback, Spencer Rattler. This is a team that only knows moving forward, and they're exceptionally good at moving the chain. So if I'm UCLA, the one thing that I'm game planning for is is really limiting Jalen Hurts. Now, I'm not asking you to completely shut down the receivers, but don't let him extend plays and don't let him scramble out of the pocket. That's where Jalen Hurts has been able to punish teams the most, in my opinion. Um, We've seen a couple of situations where Hurts has moved around in the pocket, but ultimately, if that first read isn't there, more often than not, Jalen Hurts has taken off running through two games, and and that's because of that mentality that we talked about last week. So again, when I'm looking at how do you stop this offense, you've got to key in on Jalen Hurts and keep him from using his legs. Yeah, but see, to me, I I feel like that's the most difficult thing you can do as a defensive coordinator is is to plan for that. What what I want to do is I want to take away weapons from Jalen Hurts. I want to take away Kennedy Brooks. I want to take away Trey Sermon, and I want to keep him in the middle of the pocket. I I don't want him getting to the outsides. But here's the thing is – when, when you when you I mean think about this from an X's and O's standpoint, when you look at the wide receivers, let's just go with three of them. You got Charleston Rambo, you got Ceedee Lamb, you got Grant Calcaterra. Okay, you're you're going to use probably four guys to cover three right there. All right, so now you're down from eleven to seven players. Then you've got your running backs. All right, 
You've got, you know, whether you have them one at a time or two at a time, you're going to have two linebackers following gap assignments, okay? So that's five, all right? So you went from four guys because of the receiver sets, or you went from you went four guys to the receivers. That leaves you seven men. Then you've got two guys you've got to look at running backs to cover gaps. Then it leaves you five on five with Oklahoma's offensive line. Tell me how you contain Jalen Hurts. You could. This is just a theory out here, okay? Right. I mean, you could essentially put a spy on the quarterback and, and rush four. Well, and but, to get but you're pressure. not. Gonna, but you're not going to spy Jalen Hurts with a defensive lineman, right? You, so that means you got to take away a linebacker, right. which means you've just given uh, Trey Sermon and Candy Brooks mm-hmm. an, an extra gap. Well, you pick can't. Your you can. Well, right. That's, that's what I'm you saying. You can blitz. You can blitz, which is your best hope. Blitz, you know, disguise your your blitzes and bring them, you mm-hmm. know, from different places. But that means you're leaving Rambo and and Ceedee Lamb and Grant Calcaterra. Someone's one on one. More than one person's going to be one on one. It just, it's just, it's a nightmare to try and do what I, I see what you're saying, and I agree. In a perfect world, that's when you just take away Jalen Hurts. But that, <laughs> to me, is the most difficult thing you can do. Where if you can press on receivers, take away the running backs. Then you you've got to make you've got to make Jalen Hurts make a decision, make him run. You know, and would you would you rather Jalen Hurts run for fifteen or throw for forty on any given play? You know what I'm saying? Right. Here's why this is why I say that though, and I bring up this point because you as a university are employing defensive coordinators to the hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's their job. Mm-hmm. It's to figure these equations yeah, out that, and to start plugging the variables. No, I, I agree. I mean, I agree 100%. But you, it's just what Lincoln Riley has done, really what what Clemson is doing, the, these offenses, you play for stops. I mean, if, 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 you're the, if, you're, if you're Chip Kelly, you're telling your defensive coordinator, I need X amount of stops. I, I don't need you to um, – I, I don't need you to contain Jalen Hurts to minimum yards. I don't need you to contain I – need, I need five stops from you. And really, here's the truth. As bad as UCLA has been on offense this year, they need like seven stops, eight stops. They're not getting them. You're not getting eight stops against Oklahoma. You're just not – Alabama didn't get eight stops, I don't believe, in the Orange Bowl. And if Alabama's not doing that, UCLA's not doing that. Right. UCLA's best hope defensively, what what they have to hope for, and these aren't things that I necessarily think you plan for. You hope they happen, but it's difficult to plan for, and that's turnovers. Yeah, and, and then that's a whole – that's a game changer right mm-hmm. there. Turnovers, missed field goals, you know, those type right. of things, those are stops, and that's, that's what you want. And if you're able to get stops, then you're able to feed momentum. you got somewhat of the home crowd behind you. That's where things can get dicey for Oklahoma's offense. But to me, if you if Oklahoma plays clean, and by, by clean, I mean you, you don't have those false start penalties, you don't have the holding penalties, and you don't turn the ball over, you capitalize on, on, on field goals, you don't leave points on the field, you play clean, there's zero chance of losing this game. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So let's hit up our, our offensive uh, players of the game. Tell me Tell me one guy – uh, or maybe two guys. I don't know how many you got. Who are you looking at that's going to have a big game on Saturday? Um, I do expect, and this is the obvious answer, I do expect Jalen Hurts. Okay, give me a to, name not yeah, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, that's what I was going to okay. say. I'm going to give you Jalen Hurts, but I, I'm going to go beyond that. And because of the attention that some of these other receivers, C.D. Lamb, as well as Grant Calcaterra, are going to draw, specifically, I believe, in this game mm-hmm. out on the West Coast, I think Charleston Rambo has, has the best game receiving yards wide maybe he doesn't have the most catches but i think he's a guy that in you, production yard right you don't contain he kind of runs free and then of course i have to pick one of the running backs as well we know what kennedy brooks is capable of we know what trey sermon is capable of you're big on stevenson at this point in time but i've, I've got to go with one of the starters there and say that it's trey sermon this go around yeah, that, that's that's exactly what I'm looking at in position group is is the running backs and and I, to me if I if I want to uh, get tough yards I'm going Trey Sermon first down run I'm going Kennedy Brooks and for whatever reason through the first two games we've seen Trey Sermon's workload neither one of them has had a heavy workload right. but we've seen Trey uh, Trey Sermon's really be substantially more than Kennedy mm-hmm. Brooks 
I think that might even itself out this week. But right. I, I, I just just based on what we've seen, if you're going to focus on the running backs group, you you got to go with Trey Sermon because he's getting the most carries. And what I'm hoping Oklahoma will do with the stable of running backs that they have is shorten this game by running the ball percentage-wise mm-hmm. 60-40 for me. That's why I'm going with a guy like Trey Sermon because you can grind out the clock with him each and every hour. Right. Well, look, I mean, it's your it's your first road trip of the season. You want to you want to be clean. You want to you want to limit mistakes. But you got a week off, and then you're in the conference play with Texas Tech, and Texas Tech is a team that has looked pretty decent to start the season. I think they run the ball. I think they run the ball. What exactly what you're saying? You get in here, you do your thing, you get out with the win, and you get ready to go into the bye week, mm-hmm. and you get ready for conference play by showing as little as possible. Well, they they. <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you look at the top dogs in the conference, Oklahoma kind of had to flex a little bit against Houston. They had to show some things. Texas had to flex a lot against LSU because they were behind. There's not a lot of secrets left between these two schools. But I would, if I if I had to bet, I would bet that Lincoln Riley has a lot more tricks up his sleeve. So right. Speak, than, well, I mean, if you're busting out a flea flicker in week two. Which was a terrible flea flicker, by the way. <laughs> I'm saying if you're busting out that kind of a play, it says that that's just surface level in your bag of tricks. Right, right. Lincoln Riley can't go much deeper. Will he? I well, think they practice it. Mm-hmm. I don't think they, no, they explore it unless it's a right. must Here's what situation. you're doing. You're, you're putting things on film for safety. Uh, that, that whole right. flea flicker was for the safeties. You know, you don't want those safeties coming up on when you when you if you hand the ball to Trey Sermon, the safeties they're what I guarantee what they're saying is, hey, if if it's a dive play coming up the middle to to the running backs, safeties don't commit just yet. You know, make sure. Um, and and that's what you're looking at, and that's the reason. That's I mean, a flea flicker is not a play that you're gonna throw out there for any other reason other than just to put something on film. Um, let's flip sides of the ball. Let, let's go to the defense. Where I, I'll let you go first. Um, yeah, but I, go first this here. is a this is a <laughs> terrible UCLA offense in my it, opinion. It is, and a lot of their struggles for me are what I've already mentioned previously on this podcast. Their struggles stem from this offensive line, lack of mm-hmm. protection of the quarterback, lack of an ability to open up running lanes for these running backs. We're looking at a UCLA team this year that has scored 14 points. Per game, two touchdowns, Matt. Two I'm with you. touchdowns. I'm, I'm, how do how do you keep pace with an Oklahoma offense, regardless of what defense is on the field? How do you keep pace when you're scoring two touchdowns a game? And here's Oklahoma, who's coming off a ten touchdown performance. Needless to say, UCLA is averaging 62 rushing yards. Per game, they don't even have a running back who's eclipsed that 500 yard, or excuse me, 100 yard mark well, on, the season, on, the, on the season. Oh, for the season, yeah, through two games, they don't have a guy who's hit that triple digit number. When I'm looking at how how do you stop UCLA, it's getting into the backfield mm-hmm. consistently, Absolutely. and I'm not saying to focus in on the run game; it's to put pressure on the quarterback knowing the run game is already struggling because they can't get that push up front, put all the pressure on the quarterback to make the plays. This team will be one dimensional. I expect them to be one dimensional. And if they can't convert, they'll fold. Well, and that's the thing is that you've got two, you know, you have two aspects of the offense, the running game and the passing game. Typically what you want to do is you want to limit one of them or fully remove it in that way you kind of have the upper hand, like, for example, you take away the run, then you kind of have the upper hand because you're forcing them to pass, right? But UCLA is going to take away, take away the run on their own. I mean, they're, this is a team that's, that's what you said. They're, right. they're not going to run the ball. They're averaging 1.8 yards per carry for the season. That's through two games. Through two games of the team, they're averaging 1.8 yards per carry. So you're going to – you should be able to defend – defend UCLA's running attack, which is base personnel. You don't have to commit a safety uh, to come up and run support, which allows you to do exactly what you're talking about is get pressure on um, Robinson Thompson. You 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 want our Thompson, Thompson Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to get uh, pressure on this kid. Now he's, he's throwing at about 60%, but I mean, you're, you're looking at underneath stuff and so forth. 
Um, give it up underneath. Just don't give it up over top. What you got to watch out is this kid, uh, Dimitri Felton. He is their player. Uh, he, he's the kid that, you know, he, he's their leading rusher, 99 yards on 33 carries. I, he's I their leading that receiver. Changes, well, it's going to have to because no. you, you look at this and you say, well, there's that one guy. I mean, you we'll take that but, guy out. But here's all I'm saying is you're looking at the, the two games. Joshua Kelly misses the first game of the season. He's a senior. He's the most experienced running back. I do expect him to take over a majority of that responsibility, regardless of what the stats are telling you right now. But is he going to play? That's the thing. At what, point, at what point is he coming back? And what point is he coming back I mean, healthy? He, he played the second game. And 15 carries. Not a lot of production, but 15 oh, I'm carries. Sorry, he's played the second game, and Felton is still your leading <laughs> rusher, is, is what I'm saying. you got a wide receiver who's your leading rusher. You're, you're. I mean, it, it's it's a combination of bad offensive line and bad health, and in the Chip Kelly system, that's just not not adapting to the player personnel that he has at this point. Um, here's for me, the guy I'm watching. There's really two two guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put two of them out there, but really, it's it's Big Nev in the middle. Uh, this is a team I, I put on our, our defensive keys post at Heartland Sports, Heartland-Sports.com. Shameless plug. Um, I put on our, our defensive keys post last year. Uh, Thompson Robinson was he was sacked 19 times in 194 passing attempts. So that's one sack for every 13.8 yards. And and again, Dorian Thompson More passing attempts. Right. Sorry. He he was a he was a freshman mm -hmm. and he was new, and that's rough, right? But so far this year, the two games, he's been sacked five times through 61 pass attempts, which is I mean it's not better. It's every 12.1 pass attempts he's going down. So guys like Big Nev coming up the middle and just creating havoc in the background or in the backfield, that's what I'm watching for. This defensive line should dominate the day. Look for a high number of tackles for loss, a high number of quarterback pressures, and even a high number of quarterback sacks. Second guy I'm looking at on this defense is our man Buki, the Big 12 Defensive Player of, of the Week. I'm surprised by that. Well, one. here's the thing. This Dimitri Felton kid – Buki's probably going to get some matchups with him because they're going to line him up in the backfield. They're going to line him up out wide. Mm -hmm. Where he is, if Buki's in that nickelback position, they're going to say, hey, you're the guy for, for, for Felton. And so that's a key matchup that you got to watch. And in and, 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 and my opinion, if you can just say you're covering that guy, that's where Buki thrives. If you say you've got to read and react, right. that's where we saw the struggles last year. Right. So, But I've been hard on this kid. Based off of what he did last year, but you got to say through two games, he's redeemed himself. Yeah, absolutely, well, he's there. He's getting there. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I got a text. We'll, we'll I, pump the brakes. Just yeah, a because bit after his that. after his pick six last week, I, I got a text and it just said still hasn't redeemed himself. But you he's know, getting there. He's making strides. It's it's the dumb and dumber saying when <laughs> they're out, kind of in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and there's a conversation that happens on a moped just when I think. I, yeah, I, I think it's someone just because just when I think you could be more stupid, you right. pull a stunt like this and, and totally redeem yourself. yourself. Yeah, That's I, right. I um, when I'm looking, I, I love the defensive line, and I, I think they have a huge impact mm. on this game. But I'm gonna step one level back and look at Kenneth Murray. You've you've got to take into account his speed. Yeah. Now we're not saying that there's gonna be a ton of success in running the ball, especially if the front dominates the line of scrimmage like we're hoping they do. But on these blitz packages, I think Oklahoma utilizes the speed of a guy like Kenneth Murray to do some delayed blitzes or just all-out blitzes coming up the middle where he comes through basically unblocked. Mm -hmm. I think Kenneth Murray has the, the biggest day, the biggest impact of any individual player on the field on the defensive side of the ball, and I have no runner-up. Okay. All right. Um, we'll be right. We're going to take our final time out. That means we get to go the rest of the way. Uh, interruption free. I've got two important questions for Rich. I'm going to hit up right after this. All right. Welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. I am obligated to tell you this. We did mention vivid seats earlier in the podcast. Anytime you're looking for tickets for Oklahoma athletic events, Oklahoma City Thunder, not too far away uh, from seeing the Chris Paul show uh, in Oklahoma City, which is weird to say. If you use the promo code OVERTIME for Overtime Media, promo code OVERTIME, uh, then uh, th th you get money back. I mean, you get discounted tickets. I'm just saying. Go out there and try it. All right, two important questions for you, Rich. I, I want to throw at you. 
Um, I said uh, in in the first game of the season against Houston, it's set up for um, Jalen Hurts to have a 500-yard game. And between rushing and, and passing, he did that. I said in the second game that Jalen Hurts would only play a half. I was wrong. He went into the third quarter, not not <laughs> much into the third quarter, but he did go into the third quarter. Now I've also said in my non-conference predictions that Jalen Hurts would go out to the West Coast, produce another 500-yard game, and where the first week would put him up in the conversation for the Heisman, the third week would propel him to the lead of that conversation. First important question. Does Jalen Hurts, does he does or does he doesn't get 500 yards? Man, that that for me is a, an extremely difficult question to, to answer at this point in time because I think we see a similar situation play out as we did this past week where Jalen Hurts plays not even 75% of the game. I don't expect it to be extremely competitive when you're looking at the 500 yards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no. But I am going to say that he gets really close to 400. Oh, I think he tops 400, even if he doesn't play. And here's the thing that you got to keep in mind is that this is a primetime game. 7 mm-hmm. o'clock, national television. National television. They're yeah. not going to pull him, unless it's 800 to nothing, they're not going to pull him before the end of the third quarter. Okay. I'm just saying. I, 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 yeah, you may very well be right. So, just on paper, it, this one looks like a blowout waiting to happen. I agree. I agree. Um, second important question is this. Um, UCLA comes into this, you already mentioned this, they come into this game averaging 14 points a game. Um, that's what they've scored in both of their, their uh, first two games. Does UCLA score more or less or even to 14 points? I think they'll remain even with the 14 points. UCLA later in the game will find some success on the offensive side of the ball. I think they begin to move it specifically in the fourth quarter. However, I think they score one touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then I'm giving them three quarters to find that other one at this point in time. All right. All right. Well, then you you have given away a half of your score prediction then, right? Right. 14. You, you got UCLA scoring, scoring 14. Um, okay. Let, let's let's step away from this game. We'll come back at the very end and, and do our, our, over our, our overall score predictions. But let's talk about the Big 12 in general. Um, the, to me, the, the best win that this conference has is Oklahoma's win over Houston. Is that good enough right now for the Big 12, for the perception of the Big 12? When we talked about after week one, uh, the Big 12, only Power 5 conference to go undefeated. We talked about the embarrassing losses of the SEC. But now we're through two weeks. You, uh, Texas had golden opportunity to beat LSU. They lost. That could have been like a flagship win for the conference two weeks in you, you you've got two matchups this week oklahoma ucla people are going to write this off uh if oklahoma doesn't cover the spread or get close to covering the spread they're going to write this off as the oklahoma struggle against a really bad ucla team if oklahoma covers the spread they're going to say well they should have covered the spread because it's a really bad ucla team i look more at that texas tech and arizona game as as a gauge of where the conference stands on a national perception. Also, you've got Kansas State, Mississippi State. Through two weeks, in your opinion, how's the Big 12 shaking out? The Big 12 through two weeks is not the strongest conference in the country. I don't think that was any secret to anyone heading into the season, especially given all of the previews that were written, breaking down each team each conference, where they stood when it came to the national title hunt, etc. The Big 12, again, not going to be the strongest conference in the country. In fact, they may be the third <laughs> strongest conference in the country. And, and I think through two weeks, that's being backed up at this point. Okay, so you're you you sparked my interest. Mm-hmm. You got you said Big Twelve and third. Yep. Um, you just got to be top four to win the conference to go right. to the playoffs. But right. Give me one and two then. One I, I think is the SEC. Why? Here's the reason that the top of the SEC is so strong Alabama. this year, and now you've got LSU who's who's creeping up. LSU is not LSU the real deal? No, is this no. new offense with Joe Here, Burrow here's at quarterback what people are overlooking. the real deal? Here's what people are overlooking. As impressive as that was for Joe Burrow, 
You got to think. Sam Ellinger had 400 passing yards mm-hmm. against that defense. Right. They're, I'm they're, I'm not touting the defense. Well, the I'm saying they're not going to LSU. No, no LSU's not. I, I thought more <laughs> highly of. I, I picked them to win that game because I thought highly of them. I don't. I they that damaged my perception. Not that they only won by seven, but that they got into a Big 12 style shootout. Mm-hmm. That means that their defense. No, I, I, I don't. I'm so not you're, buying, you're grading the entire conference I, on I look at, one team's I, I, I look at the SEC. one half of I, the equation. I look at the SEC, and I see Alabama. And that's fine. You don't see Georgia? Georgia's okay. I mean, they're, they're not great. <laughs> I, I really don't. I, Georgia's not the power it's oh. been the, the two years oh. before. They're, they're really not. But well, they don't have the same running backs. Well, that, that was the strength right. of the, the Georgia um, team. That was the X factor for them. But here's what I'm looking at, Matt. SEC number one currently. And I get that they have some pretty bad losses on on the books. I've got Big Ten number two and Big 12 number three. See, I, I would have the ACC number one. Really? Oh, yeah. Because of one team? No, Clemson? no. You, you, you got Clemson, I think Virginia. Virginia is an underrated team. When you, when you look we'll what they, see. They I played mean, one whole game this Well, season. I'm just saying they, they played one whole game. They won 30-14. I, I think they make some noise this weekend. Um, but you you got the defending national champion in that conference. Right. Um, you, now, you've got some dogs in there like Louisville. you got Florida State. Syracuse kind of got propped up there, and they took it hard. But think about Maryland, you know, um, and and just – I just, just – there there's, there's teams – uh, in the SC and the ACC that are really good, I, I mentioned Maryland, and and I think the Big Ten is probably a little bit stronger than what it has been. Um, Michigan State, man, their defense, I think, is their the defense, real deal. I agree, um, and, and I, 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 I don't know, Rich. I mean, I, I'm kind of scrolling through here, trying to buy some time. It's Pac-12. Pac-12 agrees the worst of the correct. five, right? Here, here's what's so difficult: is the sample size for each of these teams isn't isn't it's not exaggerated at this point. Number two is that in within that sample size, a lot of these aren't quality opponents. They're these warm-up games for conference play, and we're trying to judge pro, or not programs, but entire conferences off of what one team has or hasn't right. done essentially. Well, let's let's do this real fast. I uh, we're going to do our underrated, overrated. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go through the ranked big, the ranked SEC teams, and you tell me: are they overrated or underrated? Starting with the Georgia Bulldogs. I don't think they're under or over. Yeah, I, I think they're overrated. They're not number three. Florida Gators. Uh, they may be overrated. They are nowhere near being a top ten team. Um, Alabama Crimson Tide. I think they're good. They're they're one of the best mm-hmm. teams in the country. Okay, yep. so all right, Auburn. I think they're. They're a fringe top ten, so if I'm looking at them at number eight, I'm going to say overrated. All right, LSU number four. And LSU, I think, has earned it at this point in time. Number four, a little bit um, over where I think they they virtually stand by the time we come to a close at the end of the season. I I do think they're worthy of a top ten ranking, though. Texas A&M at 16. No, way overrated. All right, so you're telling me that – we got half of the SEC in the top ten, mm-hmm. and you think that's now, okay? I mean, I watched I watched Clemson in Texas A&M, so I can hands down say by the eye test that they have no business being being a top ten. Okay, team. so let's a take let's take the top. Even. Let's take the top two teams: Clemson, 16, Clemson, Alabama. Yeah, uh, it's hard not to pick Clemson, but Clemson doesn't have that defensive line that they had last year. There are some mistakes that are being made, but they've always been able to recover. Sign of a good team, they always find a way to win. Clemson, hands down, is my national champion right now. Right. I mean, I just, it's, it's two weeks in. I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that the Big 12 is faring terribly, but this is a big weekend for the Big 12. I mean, right. so let, let's go through this. Boston College versus Kansas. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a win for the ACC. I mean, <laughs> Kansas <laughs> it, is Boston College, can happen, you know, Boston College Miracles is a twenty-one point favorite against Kansas. Now the Jayhawks we are about on the Jayhawks are on the road. There's just, there's just, I mean, look, Kansas, Kansas got my attention for mm-hmm. one week, and then last week against Coastal right. Carolina, you're like, oh, okay, Here, yeah, it's still Kansas. The Go next ahead. game that you're going to point out is the one I'm most intrigued by this weekend. Yeah, and it's it's at Mississippi State. Uh, Kansas State to me. 
There's two teams that have been really a pleasant surprise in the mm-hmm. Big 12. Kansas State's one of them. Right. Kind of coming out of nowhere. Not a lot of expectations heading into the season for Kansas State with the the changes that have happened at the university. Mm-hmm. But they're posting 50 points on average against opponents. We'll see if Kansas State is the real deal as they're paired up with a quality opponent this weekend. Yeah, and, and this isn't the same Mississippi State team that, that the Wildcats played last year. I, I think this is a close game. The line's at seven. Um, I think seven's right around there. I might take Kansas State in those points. Not saying that, that they would upset Mississippi State, but they, I think they would be within seven. NC State at West Virginia. I have no yeah. idea. No idea how this is only a, a six-and-a-half-point line. Mm-hmm. I get it. The Mountaineers are at home. Okay, I get that. But they're the Mountaineers, okay? This is a team. We talked about UCLA struggling to run the ball. The Mountaineers are worse than that. Well, take it. <laughs> like, we, we, on Friday locks, we do top 25. So this game doesn't qualify, but take NC State and six and a half points. When Bobby Boucher shows up at halftime, <laughs> you're going to be rethinking that one. No, I mean, this is just this is <laughs> such a bad – I feel sorry. I feel bad for Austin Kendall. Um, Oklahoma State at Tulsa. I think this is a good game. I, I, I'm excited to watch this game. It's on ESPN2. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Oklahoma State wins, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think Tulsa covers a 14-point spread. They may very well. No, they, they, they will. I, I honestly don't know where Oklahoma, just like Kansas State, I don't know where they really stand. Now, they got a good win in week one. Mm-hmm. True road contest, first-year starter at the quarterback position in, in Spencer Sanders. All of a sudden, they're being built up once again as a potential dark horse candidate here in the Big 12. Yeah. Am I willing to go that far at this point? I don't think so. They've still got to prove some things to me, but Chuba Hubbard – Real deal at the running back position. This team has potential. Can they cover that 14-point line? It's possible. I'm going to take the flip side of the coin, man, and say, say that they, they win this one by at least 14. Well, here's the thing. Here's what people are overlooking about Tulsa, okay? They're not – Tulsa would not win the Big 12. They would not finish off half of the Big 12, okay? They wouldn't. But they can be competitive against teams like Oklahoma State. And, and people look at Tulsa, you see one-on-one – on the season, you see a terrible rushing yards average, but they're overlooking the fact that that first game of the season was against Michigan State, who may very well have the best defense in all of college football. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm going to go ahead and give them the best rushing defense in all of college and football. So, and so I, I, think, I think Tulsa will challenge Oklahoma State defensively. They, what they're going to do, they're going to put pressure right. on Oklahoma State's defense. They're at home. It'll be a pro-Oklahoma State crowd, you know, yeah, I was um, going to say that's going to be an stadium. interesting environment. But they can make enough noise, I believe, to keep this game close to within 14 points. Okay. I, I think, again, okay. I think Oklahoma State wins, but I think Tulsa covers the spread. Now, here, here's the games we get into the games that the Big 12, in my opinion, absolutely has to win. And I'm worried about the first one, Iowa at Iowa State. The good news is for Iowa State is you get this in Ames and, and you're you coming off a bye week. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, this – Iowa State, we labeled as the third best team in the conference in the preseason. Week one did not play like that at all. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to find some level of consistency, some level of execution in order to pull off a win against Iowa, in my opinion. Again, it's always a rivalry game. It always brings out the best. It always brings out the competitive nature of each of the players participants who is involved in that contest again interesting environments fingers crossed that iowa state pulls it out and redeems themselves i just don't i don't know here's what i I do know i I know the big 12 needs this i know it's going to be a close game and i know at 43 and a half i would bet the under (laughs) on this game but when you look at iowa state's defense against iowa and then iowa state's offense 43 and a half points I, i don't see it i don't see it going over that uh, TCU at Purdue, the, the Horn Frogs are almost a three-point favorite, two and a half. They got to win this game. Again, it's this conference perception. Right. It's on the road. It's a good win. It, it, same thing. You beat a, I was ranked number 19. You beat them at home. You go on the road and you beat Purdue on the road. Those are good wins for the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Texas should dominate Rice. That line's 32 and a half. I expect Texas to be every bit as much of that uh, over Rice. Yeah, I'm concerned about that line, Matt. 
I don't agree with you. And it comes it comes down to how long will the starters be in the game? Yeah, okay. That's the only that's the only knock against that line. I'm gonna say me. five touchdowns. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna extend that line to thirty five. I'm gonna okay. say Texas better five touchdowns better. But okay. they have to be. Coming off the loss, they have to be. You you can't um, you know, you, you you drop out of the top ten. You're number. You're still at number twelve. So I mean, is is that Florida syndrome? You know, Florida had that terrible opening performance um, against Miami. They drop out of the top ten. Now you go out and you beat a pansy, and you're back in the top ten. Same thing for Texas. Um, Texas Tech at Arizona. I, I like the Red Raiders based off what I've seen against lesser competition. I'm not sold on Arizona. I I, I, I like Khalil Tate. I think the offense is a mess. I think the defense is even worse. Um, give me uh, Texas yeah, Tech I'm, over Arizona. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are. A very slim margin. Very high over under, but very slim margin of victory. I, I'm with you in saying that Texas Tech takes this one. And, and again, it's it's one of those games that not only are they going to take, but they have to take it. They, you, this is a must-win game for Texas Tech, in my opinion. All right, well, that brings us to the big the big finish. Um, Oklahoma at UCLA, 7 o'clock kickoff, national television. The Sooners are sitting as a 23.5-point favorite, by the way, national television on Fox. Um, what you got, man? Give me your score I, prediction. 14, I've already UCLA told you, 14. Yeah, for UCLA 14. Now, UCLA played a very competitive game, uh-huh. more competitive than what they I thought they should have last year here in Norman. Needless to say – I've got UCLA at 14. I'm giving Oklahoma the exact same outcome as they had last year at 49. Or was it 45? I'm going 49, but I think it was 45. So you got 49-14? Yeah, 49-14. I've got you just a little bit higher than that on on both sides of of the field. I've got Oklahoma with 52 and UCLA 24. 52-24. That that covers the spread. Put your Um, money down. We will be back on Saturday night. uh, Kelly, to give you some thoughts recapping the game. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This is the Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-Sports.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.